0: Oh, um good morning again well today uh, during our service we are going to be beginning a new series through the book of Philippians and if you remember our last major series uh, was through the epistles of first second and third John and that went from September to January and that the theme of that was life. Because we felt that at this particular time, with all of, uh, the state of the, the, uh, the world and the coronavirus and all of the craziness that our world has become, that, uh, we want to go through that last series about finding life in God. And so this is the next logical follow-up to that series of life, which is the series of joy. Finding joy in a world that's changing, finding maintaining our joy that when we see this massive changes in our world that are causing us so much distress, we see our lives changing in terms of how we work, how we relate, uh, how our technology is advancing, how our world is changing in its rejection of God, how our world is changing in terms of the blur that's happening in human identity and how we define that. Um, how do we maintain our joy in the Lord amidst a world that's changing? How do we maintain our joy amidst our trials? Many of you in our church um, are going through trials, anxiety, suffering, chronic stress, health issues. Um, you're worried about your finances. You're worried about uh, your careers, your relationships. How do we have joy amidst our trials? The series about is about having joy amidst making decisions to have the right priorities in our lives. There's so many things in our lives that are just uh, pulling for our attention. Give me this priority, that priority. The world is pulling you in all these different directions in terms of what your priority should be. How do we have the joy of the Lord amidst uh, just a world in chaos? So that's what our series is about. It's about having joy in the Lord. The Bible talks about different uh, ways that we have joy. We have joy in God. We have joy when we come to receive the gospel. We have joy in the Holy Spirit. We have joy when we obey the word of God. We have joy knowing that we will be going to heaven. We have joy even amidst our trials. And the book of Philippians, which we will be in uh, probably for the next three months, is all about those things, how we can have joy in the Lord uh, amidst the chaos of today's life. And so today our topic is having joy related to prayer, having joy related to prayer. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Let's stand now. And we'll read God's word together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Paul writes this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my weakness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. And that is our prayer this morning, Lord, that our love would grow in the knowledge of who you are, in our love for you, our love for others, that we may be able to live lives that are seeking after what is excellent, that you would be purifying us to be blameless before Christ and in Christ and filled with his righteousness, and that our lives would be a testament to the glory and praise of who you are, Father God. So I pray that this morning, as we briefly look at um, how to have joy in prayer, uh, we would be able to look at our lives and whatever is wrong or right about it, I'll be able to find you at the center of that, Lord. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can go ahead and see. (coughs) When you pray, when I pray, what does your prayers look like? What's the content of your prayers? What is the most fervent desire of your heart during prayer? Um, There are garden variety prayers that we all pray. Um, and they usually look like this. God, help me with my finances. God, help me to have better health. God, help me to make, you know, with my career decision. Help me with my school project. Help me just to have a productive day today, God. And I think for a lot of us, when we pray, it's, it's kind of within that realm of help me to just get through life and, uh, have a blessed day today. God, as our heavenly father, he loves to hear your prayers. And I pray those prayers too. But I think what struck me as I was looking through this passage and thinking about some of the other prayers that Paul prayed is how different Paul prayed than how we tend to pray. Um, Paul certainly had health issues. He, when he's writing to the Philippian church uh, this is a church that he knew very well. And at the particular time in which he's writing Philippians, he is uh, chained to a Roman guard. He's under Roman house arrest. Uh, he was later released from that particular arrest when he wrote Philippians. But at the time, he had to be thinking, is this it? Is this is this going to be the end? Uh, but you don't really find a lot of prayers for his health. You don't find a lot of prayers for his finances. Um, you find a, a, a real centeredness on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That theme to Paul's prayers that are very much in contrast to the type of prayers that you and I tend to pray. You know, very practical, sometimes even mundane prayers. And I want to remind us, uh, before we get into this, of the kinds of prayers that, that Paul would pray. And as I'm just going to read a couple of these, and they're just a reminder, uh, listen to Paul's prayers. I'm, I'm going to read to you a couple prayers prayers uh, that he prayed to the Ephesian church and then one to the Thessalonian church. Listen to how God-focused Paul's prayers are and not so much focused on the everyday activities of what's happening in life. Uh, prayer number one from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Listen to Paul's prayer as he prays to the Ephesian church. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Godly prayer. Second prayer uh, from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. Listen to how God-focused Paul's prayers are. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. One more prayer. Second Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verse eleven and twelve. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eleven and twelve. Uh, Paul says this to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I read those prayers by Paul, and I contrast that with my own prayers that I pray. And the thing that strikes me about my own prayer life is how how ordinary my prayers are, how, how Christless my prayers are, how just completely me-focused my prayers are. Again, God enjoys all types of prayers. But notice how God-focused, how sanctified, how Christ-centered, how praying that we are focused on the riches to come in heaven uh, of how Paul prayed. And so today, as we go through this passage, we want to be thinking about how can our prayers be more God-centered, more Christ-centered? Let's go through this passage together. Uh, Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Paul ministered together uh, with Timothy. He is now on his second of three missionary journeys. I mean, well, he picked up Timothy on his second of three missionary journeys. He uh, Timothy was a Greek, and so he converted Timothy, led him to faith, and circumcised Timothy. Timothy was a young man, and he Timothy accompanied Paul on his ministry travels. Later on, Timothy would become the pastor at Ephesus, and Paul would write to him uh, in First and Second Timothy as he was pastoring the church at Ephesus. But Paul was uh, always traveled with other ministry companions. Very rarely was he alone. And he says that we are servants, duolos in the Greek, of Christ. These translations of our Bible say the English word servant, but the actual translation of the Greek word duolos is closer to the word slave. Uh, People don't like to use that word in the Bible for cultural reasons, but that's closer to what the word duolos meant. It means that we are bound, we belong, we are indebted, we are controlled. By Christ, who now owns us as our Lord and Savior, so Paul saw this as a complete allegiance to Christ, um, and he begins that with his letter to the Philippian church. Uh, he says he's writing to the saints in Christ, to the saints in Christ. Again, verse one. Notice, Paul does th- this is very unique. Paul refers to Christians as saints. Some, you know, Chris is going to talk about, and D'Amico is going to talk about their their, uh, class on Catholicism. And you guys know in Catholicism, they venerate all these saints, which actually they worship saints throughout church history that they've just kind of elevated to the uh, upper echelon of Catholic, um, the Catholic pantheon of uh, who they venerate and worship. But the Bible actually calls all Christian saints. Did you know that? It's actually theologically incorrect for a Christian to refer to yourself as a sinner. A sinner is a theological term for people who don't know Christ. We were all sinners once. But when you come to know Christ, you're actually to refer yourself as a saint. Now, you're a saint that falls into sinful behavior. But you're no longer your identity is no longer a sinner. You are a saint. It's just like... Uh, you would never say, I'm a murdering Christian, right? If you were a murderer who committed murder in the past and you found Christ, let's say in prison, you would say, I'm now a saint in Christ who's been forgiven of his murderous activities in the past. But you never say, I'm a murdering Christian. Just like that, we don't say Christians were a sinner anymore. We're saints. And he says in verse one, we are saints in Christ. Christ. Why are we saints? Because we're in Christ. This is very unique. The reason why we're saints is because we're in someone, in Christ. Christ lives in you. He is the hope of glory. First Col- uh, Colossians, uh, chapter one. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is very different when you contrast that to other religions or other cultural, um, you know, groupings. Like people who are Buddhist do not say, "I am Buddhist." In Buddha. You simply say you're Buddhist. I follow the teachings of Buddha, but there's no Buddhist in Buddha because Buddha does not live in you. So you're not a Buddhist in Buddha. A Muslim does not say I'm a Muslim in Muhammad because Muhammad does not live in you. You follow the teachings of Muhammad. The beehive does not say I'm part of the beehive in Beyonce. Okay. We listen to her music but we are not the beehive in Beyonce because Beyonce does not live in us. Bitcoiners do not say, I am a Bitcoiner in Bitcoin. We own Bitcoin if you're into that kind of thing, uh, which is a different conversation, uh, but you're not, Bitcoin does not live in you. So when he says we are saints in Christ Jesus, that is unique in human history. There is a living Christ who lives inside of us. And he says, we who are at Philippi. Philippi. Where is Philippi? Philippi was um one of the first places that Paul landed um, on as he crossed over from the east to the west from the, uh, the city of Troas, which is in modern day Turkey, and he received the Macedonian call in Acts 16. And as he got on a boat uh with Timothy and Silas, um I'm not sure if Luke was with them at the time or if he joined them later on, but uh at some point he did. Uh, and they crossed over across the sea and they landed in, uh, Acacia, which is modern day Greece. And the first place that they went to basically to establish a church was the small city of Philippi. And that's in Northern Greece. Uh, the, the whole account is, uh, referred to in Acts chapter 16, Lorraine and I, two years ago, we had an opportunity to go to Philippi, as we've mentioned before, and, um, it's not. It's in kind of this dry, arid place. Paul, uh, he, had, he had a great affection for this church. I think it was maybe one of his favorite churches. Uh, Philippi is not talked about, uh, the church at uh, Philippi is not talked about as having a lot of problems. You think about the churches at Galatia, uh, works orientation, Corinth, immorality. You think about Thessalonica, who had a wrong eschatology. Uh, They had some doctrinal or moral problems. Philippi is not talked about in that way. There's this sense that Paul planted it. He knew people. He baptized people there. As Lorraine and I walked the area of Philippi, we walked uh, the stream that uh, uh, Bible historians and theologians and archaeologists believe that that stream was the stream that Lydia got baptized in. And then we walked to um, the city area where the marketplace would have happened in Acts 16 where Paul threw out the demon out of a slave girl and then the, the merchants got mad and then they threw Paul and, um, and, uh, Silas, who was also Jewish, into a prison. And we saw what might have been the prison, but all of that where Lydia was baptized, where the marketplace was, where they think Paul might have been in the shackles, very, you know, it's, it's very close in distance. It's like walking the distance between here to the artist district. So this was not an enormous city like Athens, you know, in Rome. And so Paul, as he writes to the Philippian church, uh, there's a very, there's, there's a sense of intimacy here. Like he knew them because it wasn't this enormous city. And so he's probably very well known while he was there with his ministry companions. And so we go on to verse two and he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a standard greeting that Paul would greet uh, the churches and the believers. It's the same greeting that he wrote to the Roman church in the book of Romans, to the Corinthian church in the book of uh, Corinthians, uh, to the Galatian church in the book of Galatians, to the Ephesian church, to in Ephesus, to the Colossian church in Colossae, to the Thessalonian church, and Thessalonians. He also wrote this greeting to his personal letters to Philemon, Timothy, and Titus. So, grace, we are in. Uh, communicating to you by the grace of God who has given us peace between us and God and peace between each other from God, our Father. God is often referred to as a Father. Did you know that Jesus throughout the Gospels referred to God as his Father and not to God? Very rarely did he use God uh, in reference. He usually talked about his Father and the Lord Jesus Christ which encompasses not just his lordship, but his saviorship. And so now in verses 3 through 11, we're going to look at three aspects of prayer. We're going to look, number one, we're going to look at the joy that we have um, in partnership with the gospel and the joy that God gives to us as we pray for other believers, the joy of partnership, of the gospel of other believers, and the joy it gives to us in prayer, number one. Number two, we're going to look at um, the prayer that we should pray for one another, that God would finish his good work that he has begun in all believers. And number three, we're going to look at Paul's prayer in verses 9, 10, and 11 as a model for um, how we're going to pray. And at the end of this sermon, uh, before we receive communion, I'm going to actually ask you guys to pray the prayer in verse 9, 10, and 11 along with me. And we're going to pray that for each other, for ourselves. So that's where we're going with this. So let's look at verse um, 3 and 4 and, and a few other verses under number 1. The joy that we have in prayer when we partner with others in the gospel. The joy that we have in prayer when we partner with others in the gospel. In verse 3 and 4, Paul says this that he's thanking God as he remembers the Philippian church. Verse 4 Because in his prayers. He has joy. He's making all of his prayers with joy. If you go skip down to verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, he says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what we discover about Paul at this point is the Philippian church was very close to him. He yearned for him. He had an affection for them in Christ Jesus. He held them close in his heart. He was thankful to God for them. And he had joy in knowing them. And why did he feel this way about the Philippian church? If you go to verse 5, it is he says, it is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. He says in verse 7, they were with him through his imprisonment in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Paul had joy in his prayers for other people because the people that he was praying for that brought him such joy, there was a partnership in the gospel, in the gospel work. There was a partnership in leading people to Christ. There was a partnership. This is the Philippian church. We'll see later on in Philippians 4, when the other churches in Macedonia did not support Paul's ministry financially, the Philippian church did, he says in Philippians 4. There was a partnership in the gospel. And so as Paul prays for them, he has great joy. He led them to Christ. He baptized them. He built them up in the faith. Um, This is very important to have joy in prayer. And one of the things that we learned from Paul here is that if your prayer life does not have joy, you want to be having a focus on your prayer life on those who are partnering with you in the gospel. Those who are serving alongside of you. Those who are walking the streets of Little Tokyo on a prayer walk, partnering with the gospel. Those who are doing these different outreach ministry projects, who are partnering in the work of the gospel. And we want to be praying for these people and with these people. Um, and there's joy there. I, I think that some of us, um, what we forget in our, in, our, you know, in our culture where we say, I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not religious, I don't need church. I, I think D'Amico was saying something like that, right? He talked to someone last night. Uh, church is full of hypocrites, full of judgmental people, and, you know, people make all these reasons for that. And so there's people that are unbelievers that are outside the church, and they kind of just do their own thing. And then there's actually people who are actually Christians who say, I'm a, I'm a believer. And, you know, maybe they are. There's a lot of believers who actually are not going to church right now, unfortunately. Either way, whether you're an unbeliever who's not part of a church or you're a believer who's not part of a church, like long-term not part of a church, what people forget if you fall into one of those two categories is that having joy spiritually um, is partially dependent on the joy that you receive by being around others' believers' lives who are being changed. In the gospel, I want you to turn with me to uh, keep your, we're going to come back to Philippians. So I want you to turn with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to point this out. You may have read this verse before, but in light of what we're talking about, having joy with your partnership in the gospel with other believers, in light of that, I want you to read what Paul says in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Um, Paul says this, he says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Isn't that interesting? If you go back to Philippians, and you go to Philippians chapter 4, Paul says something very similar. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved what you notice with Paul is that he received joy when he was talking to the Philippian church in first uh, 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 to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 or to the Thessalonian church in first Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 and 20 part of what gave Paul joy was when he looked around follow this, when he looked around and he saw the fruit that was happening in the lives of other believers that he was involved in with ministry. He called them his crown, his joy of boasting. And see, the problem when you're not part of a church and you're a believer is that you're robbing yourself of one of the main ways that Paul had joy. Because when he was in fellowship with these churches, when he was serving with them, building them up, presenting everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1, when he was planting churches, when he was, when he was, um, receiving aid from them, when he was disciplining them, and when he was seeing them grow in maturity in Christ or come to faith in Christ, that brought him joy. And I really think it doesn't say this, you know, with a particular verse, but in my knowledge of Paul, who Paul was, this is what I think one of the main things that kept Paul going. It wasn't just the fact that he met Jesus in Acts 9, you know, face to face and heard the voice. That, that's like the biggest thing, right? If you come face to face with Jesus, you're going to have joy and you're going to be motivated, right? But we don't get to do that in the same way Paul did in Acts 9. However, I think one of the things that Paul kept Paul going in the faith is the encouragement that he saw in the lives of other believers. Hey, you're growing in the faith. You're coming to faith. Hey, you're um, renouncing the worldly ways and, and growing in your faith. That brings me joy. You're my joy, my hope, my, my, my crown of boasting before the Lord in Jesus Christ. And if you're not around other believers, if you're not involved in the work of the gospel, in the work of uh, advancing the kingdom, you're robbing yourself of one of the main ways that Paul had joy. Being around other believers who are serving, who are partnering with you um, is a source of spiritual joy. Very, very important. Number one. We, number one, we have joy in our lives and in our prayers when we have partnership with other believers in the gospel and the work of the kingdom. Number two, uh, we have joy in our prayer when we pray that God would finish the good work he has begun in other believers. We have joy in our prayers when we pray that God would finish the good work that he has started in other believers. Look, look with me at verse six. Paul says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion in the day of Christ. Paul prayed, and he, this is actually an affirming thing that he's saying to the Philippian church. He's saying, look, Philippians, I know you, you know me, and I want to tell you that God has been doing a good work in you. It's not complete but he's doing a good work in you. And my prayer is that God would bring that to completion. That's my prayer for you. See, see, I think that's incredibly encouraging. What if you were to show up at church and you had people come up to you and say, you know, hey, Karen, hey, Yunji, you know, hey, David, you know, hey, hey, Keen, I want you to know that um, I see God's good work in you. And here's the ways that I'm seeing God's good work in you. And I also want you to know that I'm praying that God would continue that good work that he's doing in your life. I mean, a lot of times we don't get encouragement out in the real world. And, you know, the church should be in a place, the type of community, where when you show up, um, I, I've had people say to me that, oh, man, I, You know, when I'm part of a church, I I just don't want to, you know, I'm just around miserable people who are so discouraging to me. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes Christians, you know, are in that place and it's a season or sometimes some Christians just have to get their act together. But in general, in general, when you're part of a church, you want to be part one of the people who's coming up to other people and saying, hey, hey, brother, hey, sister, I see the good work that God is doing in you. We don't want to be stingy with our commendation. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I'll just build up them in pride. I don't want to do it. Oh, we're just so lowly servants. And yes, that's true. But you know what? I really think that for a lot of us, uh, we have heard a lot of that. We will continue to hear that. But we need to hear more of my prayer is God would continue the good work in you. And I see the good work that God is doing to you. When was the last time you went up to someone at this church? And I want to encourage you, not in a fake way. But what would it look like if before you walked out that gate here today, you you honestly, you know, if you don't think it, don't say it, but it honestly went up to two people and just said, I, I want to let you know that this is the good thing I see God doing in you. I, I think this would be a fantastic church, right? And some of you are already doing that. The other thing to notice about this is that God does the work. It is God who begins the good work, verse 6, and he brings it to completion. Um. Now, it's interesting because when you look at Philippians chapter 3 verse uh, verse 12 Paul actually says the the opposite. He says um, this is him striving, not the work primarily of God. He says, not that I've already obtained it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 and 13. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ." Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's this aspect of the Christian faith where it's God who begins the work, he brings it to completion. Philippians chapter one, verse six, but on the other side, we have a responsibility to press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it's both. Um, I lead an explorer's Bible study on Monday nights and, uh, myself, Jing, she's part of it. Uh, she translates along with Joshua. Um, and there's, uh, three unbelievers in this zoom, uh, Monday night, uh, outreach Bible study. And these are people that have all visited our church before. We've been doing it for the past three or four weeks. We do. And every Monday night we're on this zoom call for two and a half hours. And, um, and so before and after the Explorers Bible study, I get together with Jing and Joshua. And before and after, we pray for our time. We say, God, would you just make Christ known in their hearts? But then we go do the work of the Bible study for two and a half hours, right? We're answering questions. We're going through passages. And and even though, and at the end, it's been really great every week. And we really feel that some of them are close to faith. And we're going to offer a baptism service on Easter. And I think some of them are thinking about it. And I think Matt F. and Cynthia, they're leading an explorer's uh, children's Bible study where there's possibilities where some of them might profess faith and, and, and get baptized in Easter as well. But we're doing the work. We're not just praying that God would lead people to faith. These guys that went out last night, they're praying, but then they're doing the work too. And it's bold. And so part of maturity in the Christian faith comes when you come to a place where you say, God, help me, but then I've got to commit to turning from what I need to turn to, and that's my responsibility, and embracing what I should. And it's both together. Lastly, for this morning, we're going to look at Paul's prayer in verse 9, 10, and 11. We're just going to kind of go through it. make a few comments, and then I'm going to lead you in praying this prayer. This is actually one of my favorite prayers in the entire Bible. I think after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, this is uh, maybe my second favorite prayer in the entire Bible. It's succinct, and it hits uh, so many things about the Christian walk. And so we're going to look at uh, the joy, the, a type of joyful prayer that Paul had, a type of, an example of joyful prayer. That's our third point. Example of joyful prayer in verse 9 through 11. We're going to look at five aspects of this prayer. In verse 9 through 11, Paul prays this. Actually, this was my prayer for Darcy when we she was first born. Uh, this is my ongoing prayer for her. He says this in verse 9. And this is my prayer, number one, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That's number one. Our prayer should be that the, our love for God, our love for other believers, which is probably more the context here, other love for other believers rather than love for mankind, that our love for other believers would grow in a way to where that love is informed in a way that uh, is honoring to God in knowledge and discernment in God's truth. Uh, this was what Paul wanted. He wanted the Philippian church to grow in love. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by having a common love, the same love. He said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, think on the things that are lovely in God's eyes. So we want to pray for each other, that we would grow in love for God and love for other believers. Number two, he goes on to say, in verse 9, still again, uh, So, or I'm sorry, verse 10, so that we may approve what is excellent, what is excellent. We may approve what is excellent. That should be a prayer of ours. Um, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that he wanted our minds to focus, to ponder on the things that are right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy. But one thing things he wanted us to focus on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, is the things that are what? Excellent. Are you praying that other believers and that yourself would strive after that which is excellent in God's eyes? Now, when we say excellence, when Paul had in mind here, not primarily, hey, Philippians, those of you that are carpenters, you do excellent carpentry work. You know, those of you that are farmers, you, you know, you use the right fertilizer or whatever. You know, they didn't have it back then, but, you know. That you re- use the right kind of seed and the right kind of soil. You, you do excellent farming. A lot of Christians today, they tend to look at things that way. They say, well, excellence that's talked about in the Bible is doing excellent schoolwork. It's doing excellent workplace work. But actually what Paul really had in mind here when he says, approve what is excellent, it's excellence in your walk in Christ Christ. Excellence in how you conduct yourself um, in Christ's ways. Excellence in how you serve in the church. Excellence in terms of your generosity and your sacrifice of what your time, talent, and treasures are for the kingdom. Excellence in your prayer walk. Excellence in your commitment to uh, learning the word of God. These are very spiritually focused expressions of excellence. Thirdly. We see in this passage, uh, again, verse 10, that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul repeats this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. If you skip on down, he says that we as Christians are to do all things without grumbling or disputing so that what? Verse 15, we may be blameless and innocent children of God amidst a dark and crooked generation in which we shine like stars in the sky. Uh, we want to be blameless in Christ, ruthless in uh, filtering out impurity. Um, fourth, he says in verse eleven, so that we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is a prayer that we may, that the Flipping Church we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, He said this again in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. When he's talking about his uh, autobiography, he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that he may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Are we praying that other believers would be filled with the righteousness of Christ in their lives? Um. Righteousness in Christ is a very specific designation. Now, the world would just look at this and say, well, filled with righteousness for what? Filled with righteousness to to express yourself? Filled with righteousness to um, to be yourself? To be true to yourself? That's a very different kind of secular righteousness. Well, Paul has in mind here Is the righteousness that comes through Christ. Christ producing his fruit in your life. Growing in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc. And lastly for today, that this would all be to the praise and glory of God. To the glory and praise of God. Verse 11. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 11 that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to bow to Jesus at one point or another. It's just a matter of when. And so, as we have looked at prayer and having joy in prayer, I want us to, um, I'm going to have Garen come up right now. I want us to actually spend a moment before we go into communion and we close this service to pray this prayer in verse 9, 10, and 11. Okay, this is going to be an active thing. We don't ask you to do this often. But we're going to ask you to do this now because I think that this is a perfect prayer for us. And this is a prayer that you can pray on the prayer retreat next weekend at Descanso Gardens as well. So um, I'm going to lead you in this. I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to lead you to pray these prayers. And uh, whatever kind of strikes you or convicts you, I want you to start praying for that. So we'll just go through this one by one. Lord, as we come to you in prayer now, we want to first start our prayers with prayers of love. You guys, I want you to think about people in your life, your spouse, your children, other believers in the church, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. And I want you to pray for them right now, other believers in your life, that they would grow in love for the Lord. That they would grow in love for other believers. That they would grow in love in the marriage. Grow in love towards their siblings. Grow in love towards um, other people in the church. And when you spend a moment, someone's, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will bring people to mind. Maybe it's the person next to you. Someone in your own family. I want you to pray that. Pray that, that the believers in your life would grow in love. Let's do that for a moment. Thank you, God. Love covers over a multitude of sins, Lord. By love for one another, we will all men will know that you are we, we are our disciples. Secondly, I want you to pray that the believers in your life, including yourself, would pursue what is excellent. Excellent in terms of uh, our service to the Lord. Excellent in terms of what we give to the church. Excellence in our daily walks. That we wouldn't pursue what is um, permissible, but what is constructive. That we would pursue what is excellent in our spiritual walks. Not what is passable. Not what can be forgiven, but what is excellent. Pray for excellence in our spiritual walks for the believers around you. Number three. I want you to pray for yourself and other believers that they would walk in a blameless way before Christ. Blameless in terms of whatever is coming through our screens at home. Blameless in terms of how we're handling our finances. Blameless in terms of um, that we're wanting to think not the worst of one another, but we're wanting to think the best of one another. That we would be blameless in our ruminations for revenge and hatred and anger against others. But that we would be blameless in these attitudes. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for the believers around you. Blameless for Christ. For the day of Christ. that the fruit of righteousness of Christ would be manifest in the lot in your life and the lives of others. that Christ would forgive you, Christ would sanctify you, and Christ's spirit would start to produce the fruit of the Spirit that would grow you in your faith and the fruit of the Spirit that would nourish your soul. Lastly for today, pray that your life and my life, the life of other believers around you, would be a testament to the praise and glory of God. And not the glory of ourselves, not the glory of man, knowing that this is the one true and worthy thing that we are to live for. Praise glory of God. Pray for the believers around you that that may be taking place. as we receive communion now uh, we remember your death on the cross and actually your risen risen to new life that out of two men you have brought us together as one in Christ it is our declaration now as we receive communion that you have brought the church together as one in Christ and that you have brought us as one with God and that has been made possible through your forgiveness and your cleansing. We take this moment now, Lord, to examine our lives, to remind ourselves of the need for Christ's work, and to recommit ourselves, Lord, as His followers, as His as your children, Father. And so uh, we do this now as we receive the elements. It's symbolic, Lord, of our need for Christ ready, you can approach uh, the community table and receive communion, and then we'll close in worship.